0: Connecticut Democrats, or connecticut as they have never been called. Welcome back, everybody, to our Candidate Spotlight series. I'm your host this week, David Kostek. Well, this is it. We're down to the last week before local elections in Connecticut, and it is time to pull out all the stops and get out there and campaign. If you've been thinking about helping out, if you've been sitting on the sidelines thus far, well, now's the time to go. And one place you can go is Westport where Jonathan Steinberg is running for first selectman. He sat down to talk to us about all the things going on in that community. It was a great conversation, and, you know, after it's all over, there'll be plenty of time for Monday morning quarterbacking, for figuring out what sort of implications there are for the midterms and all that stuff, but right now, with eight days to go, we're looking for you to come on out and help. Best thing you can do at this point is uh, check out your local DTC, that's Democratic Town Committee, on Facebook or on the web, and uh, hit the contact button and and reach out to help out. Um, we need all hands on deck. But right now, let's listen in to our conversation about Westport on Connecticut's the CT Dems podcast. With just eight days to go until election 2021, uh, people all over the state are campaigning hard, and Jonathan Steinberg is no exception. He's running for first selectman in Westport, and he joins us here today.
1: How are you doing tonight, David?
0: I'm doing great, but uh, how I'm doing is less of an issue than how you're doing with, like I said, just over a week to the election. How are you
1: holding up? Well, you know, uh, it's sort of like a test. Uh, At the end of the day, it comes down to what the voters decide. We've run a good campaign. Uh, I will say that this is my second year campaigning in a row, having run for (laughs) my state rep seat last year, and I've calculated Going back to my last run for Westport's RTM, Representative Town Meeting, this is my eighth election in 12 years. So you really got to want it if you're going to run that frequently. And I guess one of the attractive aspects of winning a first selectman's race is that in Westport, it's at least a four-year term.
0: (laughs) So that's true. All right. Other than the duration of the term, how does it compare to a legislative race to you? Does it
1: feel the same? I've given it a lot of thought. Obviously a more collegial legislative role is very different from the buck stops here executive role. But uh, I think that my time in the legislature, particularly going through some challenging times, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic, but certainly that was a large factor, bringing out some tough bills like the uh, removing the religious exemption for vaccines, some of the uh, environmental bills we've done over the years, uh, the need to be able to negotiate, to bargain, to to uh, drive consensus—if you're going to get something passed—I think those skills really do transfer very well.
0: I, I believe the legal women voters, or not legal women voters, the conservation voters uh, named you
1: a, a champion
0: for the environment.
1: Do you remember this? Oh, it's—I think they've done that five or six times over the years. But, Sorry, uh, I just
0: looked at the most recent one. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, you know. I, Obviously, uh, I come from a, an environmentally progressive community, so I started off not even being a leader. But with time, uh, it's one of the areas that I've really tried to steep myself in the legislature. Uh, in my case, it's a combination of both environment and energy policy. Energy being perhaps the most obscure, abstruse uh, of all the uh, all the disciplines. Uh, but it's something I've taken great pride in trying to really drive down and understand well. And I'm very pleased that in coalition with a lot of uh, the, uh, the third party uh, uh, people, we have achieved quite a bit in the legislature in recent years. It's been a good run. Uh, most recently getting the state water plan uh, created and, uh, and, and endorsed by the legislature and having that implemented. But uh, plastic bag and plastic straw bands uh, microbeads, um, uh, fracking waistband. Um, it goes on and on. It's been a nice run.
0: So translate that down to switching gears and becoming a chief executive of a town. What is, what does Westport need to do in terms of its coastal community? Obviously there's waterways, there's uh, wetlands, what environmental issues are forefront in your mind that maybe have been overlooked or, or definitely need attention now?
1: It's a good question. and I do think it's common to at least a lot of the shoreline communities in Connecticut. Uh, you know, Westport has experienced the impacts of sea level rise in our low-lying uh, properties along the coast, many of which are extremely expensive properties. We, when we talk Gold Coast and Westport, we're really talking about some pretty expensive real estate. But uh, they've uh, been hit hard by the storms. And now that we see them more regularly, there are real questions about how best to maintain and preserve shoreline housing and other critical infrastructure. And we also have problems since we have a major river running through our downtown, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a tidal river in a large, to a large degree. We've seen impacts in our downtown. And the more I talk to voters as I knock on their doors, the more I'm hearing about localized flooding and resilience issues as well, both because we have a lot of large homes, 6,000 square feet homes with huge roof lines and a lot of coverage that have uh, channeled torrents of water downhill to uh, pe- other people's basements, hmm. to the problems in some of our older homes where there are pipes under their properties The homeowners may not even know that probably haven't been maintained or cleaned in some time and may not even be sufficient more to be able to handle the water that is now part of our severe storm reality. Uh, you know, we have a hazard mitigation plan as is required by the state, but there's no real conversation going on on what we should do about it. Yes, these are complicated and they can be very expensive, but this is a conversation I imagine every community should have. And I look at the town of Madison, Connecticut, that's already put together, a Resilience Commission and are at work coming up with a resilience plan for their community, uh, looking at various scenarios and trying to figure out how to protect people's homes, businesses, critical infrastructure. Westport needs to do that. And that's one of the things we featured in our campaign is to make sure that we had that conversation and make uh, some pretty smart strategic decisions for our long-term future.
0: You mentioned that the uh, river runs through downtown and the tidal nature of the river does affect downtown but uh, uh, you know what happens downtown is, is largely a function of the economy right so what are you seeing in downtown Westport that uh, gives you some hope for for the coming years and what can be done better down there
1: well I will say that prior to the pandemic our downtown it was not doing all that well it, right. it was a little bit of a ghost town a lot of empty storefronts which was a function of the economy to some degree, but also because we have some pretty pricey real estate in our downtown as well. And the landlords were holding out for some pretty high rents, meaning that they were prepared to allow some of those storefronts to remain vacant Mm. for extended periods. And that's not good for for the community to have empty storefronts. We're doing a little bit better now. Ironically, the pandemic has made Westport an extremely attractive community. We have all sorts of new families moving into town, many of whom uh, came directly from New York City where they're looking for um, a different lifestyle. Many of uh, the people are, are working from home these days. They don't need to be in the city. So that has meant that uh, uh, you know we're more attractive and some businesses have come here as well. But that's cyclical. It's, it's not a long-term solution. One of the things we've talked about doing is taking a page from Fairfield's book. They have a director of economic and community development. It's an interesting combination, economic and community. It really helps to uh, attract and retain businesses, create activities in their downtown, um, uh, even deal with issues like affordable housing and flooding, but really make sure that their downtown is vital and a real destination for their citizens. We should do the same thing in Westport. We should be embracing the river instead of putting our parking lots there. I don't know why we ever decided that, but that seems pretty backwards. So the idea of moving uh, our greens and and our uh, other green spaces right on the river, try to link them all with a grand concourse or walkway so people can really enjoy the river. Uh, We just got some federal funding to dredge the river, which is long overdue which might lead to some greater recreational boat traffic, maybe a a shuttle between our downtown and our second downtown uh, of Saugatuck. Just we're brimming with ideas of things we could do, maybe add a playground downtown, maybe uh, um, a wooden performance platform for impromptu music performances or other performances. Uh, There are just a lot of things we can do to make Westport a real hub, a real destination for our citizens. So it wouldn't be just another generic, strip mall with high-end retail. We'd have a lot more going on.
0: You, you spoke of a lot of growth or, or a lot of new people moving to towns. It's true in a lot of Fairfield County, a lot of Litchfield County too. But um, with more people comes more traffic. So uh, I know this has been sort of a centerpiece for you and something that people are really concerned about uh, in Westport and really along the, the adjacent towns as well. Um, what can be done about it?
1: You know, this has been an emerging problem, as you say, not just in Westport, but particularly in Fairfield County. We are the gateway to New England. We've got the Post Road, the Merritt Parkway, I-95, Metro North, all running through a pretty narrow um, neck in in our neck of the woods. And that does mean a great increase in traffic. We used to have, you know, the typical morning rush, uh, late rush. Now we've got a lunchtime rush. The rushes kind of blend in with each other uh we have a lot of people in cars uh, many of whom no longer are uh uh, are feel totally safe in mass transit we hope that changes we're starting to see ridership of metro north increase again which is good but there are a lot of cars on the road and again this problem predated the pandemic but the pandemic has only made it more so uh so we've we've given a lot of thoughts we have a couple of problems some intersections that frankly dot has not given us good answers on one by the bridge over the saugatuck in downtown um where uh traffic backs up we got a little bit of road rage as people are obliged to merge into one lane which doesn't seem like an ideal solution we have another really problematic intersection near exit 42 off the merit it's the confluence of east and west and and, and main street uh and uh it's chaos there much of the time so one of the things i would do i you know I, i've argued for it as a legislator on the transportation committee but it takes The advocacy of the first selectman really to get DOT to pay attention. And they've got some other tools as well that we're not using. Some smart technologies, smart traffic lights with built-in cameras that actually change the lights based upon actual traffic flow. Uh, Some things we need to do to keep people safe. Uh, Lights on crosswalks, um, traffic calming techniques in our downtown so people don't speed and we keep bicyclists and pedestrians safe. Uh, There's a lot we can talk about. All these things in the aggregate, can mitigate traffic. No no one thing is going to get it done. But one other thing we need to talk about, when I was growing up in town, we used to have an effective mass transit system, uh, what we called the minibus, which meant that, you know, teenagers particularly could catch a ride from school downtown to various activities. We used to have a shuttle that went around to various activities after school. Those are gone and they've disappeared recently. So I'm all in favor of having the conversation about, are there appropriate mass transit alternatives? Yeah, they should probably be subsidized as a public good. This is something the town should be willing to pay for. To benefit our young people, uh, to take people who might not need to take their car all the time, who might be able to get downtown or to Sagatuck or to Longshore or Campo, or maybe just to the grocery store or a medical appointment. Hmm. Uh, that's something we need to explore, particularly if we want to reduce our carbon footprint, as well as actually reduce traffic. As I've uh,
0: been keeping my eye on campaigns all over the state, I've looked, at a, I, I've looked at a lot of campaign websites. If you look for the one person in Connecticut who has read the most campaign websites, you might be talking to them. And uh, one of the things that's unique to yours is, or if not unique, is, is stood out for me is attention to developing the arts and supporting artists in Westport. Uh, talk a little bit about that, a, why you made that a focus of the campaign, and and what sort of ideas uh, you and your running mate, Candace Evans, are bringing to this
1: race. Well, David, it doesn't really surprise me that we're kind of unique in that sense, because Westport's a little unique in that sense. It may not be well known, but Westport has always been an artist colony. Even with all the corporate executive types, we have, have a long heritage of supporting artists of all sorts. And it's been part of our culture uh, that we're very proud of. So what we'd like to do in every way we can is embrace it and celebrate it. Uh, you know, a number of our, our retail establishments, restaurants and stores have found ways to incorporate either exhibiting art or having some sort of performance spaces. We've used some of our empty storefronts for pop-up art exhibits. There's just so much we, we can think about creatively, which makes sense with the arts, which can uh, basically both support artists and expose our citizens, particularly young people, to some of the uh, great alternatives we have in our community. We also have other aspects of the arts tradition that are manifest, the Levitt Pavilion, which plays free concerts all summer long, the Westport Country Playhouse that has for generations uh, put on uh, shows of various types, including sort of having been the proving ground for shows that go to Broadway. Uh, The library is actually an information hub in many ways. We used to have a lot of movie theaters. One of the things I've talked about is trying to bring a movie theater back to our downtown, because that's something that uh, brings people together as well in terms of love of film. So we have a lot of good uh, experiences with the arts over many generations. We want that to be available to all West Porters as well. And so we're uh, encouraging all sorts of interesting ideas on how we can make the arts more integral into everything we do.
0: If you want to find out a little bit more about this and about the traffic and about the environmental and every other platform, uh, Jonathan Steinberg is running with uh, running mate Candace Savin. Their website, therefore, is steinbergsavinforwestport.com. A little long, but if you Google it, uh, it's right there at the top. Um, and right there on the, on the front page of the website and on your signs, it says Democrats for Westport Board of Selectmen. Your opponents do not call attention to their party. And uh, I find that significant.
1: Yeah, it is significant. You know, I didn't used to put Democrats on my signs. I, I think lawn signs are really best suited just for letting people know who, who runs. Right, I yeah. know other people put more energy into that. But we felt it was very important this year because of the stark contrast between the parties. Yeah, our opponents are running away from being Republicans. They say that they're not like the national Republicans, they, they constantly say we shouldn't talk about national issues. Well, there's obvious reasons for that. Uh, they don't look good when they're associated with their party, whereas we're very proud to be Democrats. Uh, we think our values uh, jive nicely with the town's values, uh, a belief in inclusiveness and diversity, sustainability, but also such things as uh, women's reproductive rights uh, you know, L- LGBTQ, uh, I'm sorry, have i forgotten all the acronym, um, uh, sensible gun control, access to the vote, um, vaccines and science, all these things are now only associated with the Democratic Party, not with the Republican Party. And uh, perhaps the most uh, current issue related to that is a movement, which I'm sure is certainly not unique to Westport, the anti-critical race theory people who are anonymous in our community. And we were very forthright when we first saw these lawn signs and the website that this is not our community. We're doing a DEI study in our board of education right now. Uh, We are very eager to have the conversation about how we teach our children the real history and prepare them for the real world and certainly not sanitize history. But uh, our opponents have chosen to be absolutely silent on this point. They have not denounced the fear mongering, the divisiveness of this anonymous group. And I think that is uh, very indicative of the fact that uh, they are not prepared to be effective leaders. They are not prepared to uh, espouse our values or to uh, really uh, bring the community together in an important way. We're one week out from this election and
0: uh, right there you see the importance of what is going on in every town in Connecticut. In Westport, you see um, a lot of the same stuff that Jonathan just referred to in, uh, locally here in New Canaan, over in Guilford, very high profile, and on a number of other, particularly Board of Ed races around. But um, if you wanna get involved, look up your local, local DTC and reach out to volunteer. Come on out next weekend for Get Out the Vote. Can you believe we're up to the Get Out the Vote part of the show?
1: Yeah, David, you're absolutely right. This is an all-hands-on-deck situation. If we care about our communities, we have to elect Democrats who reflect our values. So everybody needs to vote. It's more important to vote in locals than it is in the presidential in terms of your, your quality of life and a lot of the things you care about. So everybody must vote.
0: Well, that was awesome. I'm glad Jonathan uh, stopped by to talk to us this week in this very busy last week before the election. Um, it is time to get out there and help. We've, we've plugged it as many times as we can, so I'll leave that one aside for now and just tell you the other critical thing, of course, is to vote and make sure that your friends vote. If you've already got your absentee ballot in hand, uh, anybody in Connecticut can vote via absentee ballot this year. Uh, you know, Fill that thing out, drop it in the drop box at your town hall. And uh, if that is not your your thing this year and you're gonna vote in person, please do. It's November 2nd, next Tuesday, November 2nd. And if you're looking for resources, uh, you can check out ctdems.org slash I will vote. And you can find uh, all the polling locations in the state along with a list of all the Democratic candidates and information about election day registration. Let's say you have a friend who just dragged their feet and didn't bother to register, et cetera, et cetera. They can register on election day in Connecticut. So uh, let's make it happen. Let's make all these elections happen. Let's get a lot of wins on the board next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you out there on the campaign trail.